You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. The ushers are coming forward here in the main worship center as well as in the live stream service and Uh, They have Bibles and they have pens in hand and if we would love everyone to have a copy of God's Word in your hand So if you need a Bible this morning, you forgot it at home or perhaps you don't have one Please take that Bible and open it up with everyone else here to Acts 27 Want your eyes in Acts 27 not looking at me continually through this or the screen Although there's going to be some good animation on the screen uh, uh, This morning uh, as we work through the Word of God But you've got to see some of these truths and some of these realities that we're working through in God's Word And we love the Word of God and so take that Bible Bible, have it open at Acts 27, and we will be uh, looking at that in just a moment. Again, just say thank you so much to the band who faithfully leads us week after week, the various people involved, and then all the technical aspects, and then even how the continual tweaking and working of making it, notice it's brighter in the back here this morning. I can see you now sleeping back there, and so don't even think about it, because I will see that and and send uh, ushers to come and and, and wake you. Well, I won't do that, but anyways, just, just wanting to continue to make this a place where we just remove as many barriers as possible so we can worship the Lord together. And, uh, and so this morning we uh, just are so thankful once again for all the faithful servants in all areas of church life here. You know, so oftentimes we can make plans, plans for our day or plans for the week or maybe even a little further out than, out than that or even maybe life plans and goals and dreams and desires. We pray about it, we even get advice, we get imp- input from others and, 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 and then we just kind of have this crazy idea that everything will go just as we plan. No hiccups, no interruptions, everyone will be favorable and, 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 and everything will just be clear sailing right until we reach our goal, right until deliverance, right until the day we die, whatever it might be. And yet that doesn't happen, does it? Because more than likely and more often than, than, than not, the unexpected happens. The unexpected happens and all of a sudden we are facing what is no longer easy, whatever is no longer delightful, but all of a sudden it becomes dangerous or the storm clouds are on the horizon and then the storm comes and we feel like our lives can be shipwrecked by life circumstances and how easily we can go from delight all the way to disaster or devastation where it just feels like we're barely hanging on. And whether that devastation comes instantly in a text message, a phone call, or whether it is a slow fade or uh, it happens over a period of time, a deterioration to life, to relationships, to our bodies, whatever it might be, but whatever it is that there are so many storm clouds that we, and storms that we face that cause us to even lose hope, whether it's a health diagnosis, a financial struggle, abuse that we've endured family and relational strife, an unfaithful or an unforgiving spouse, even the end of a marriage, or a battle with anxiety or depression or loneliness, and then the ultimate, the loss of a family member or a friend. Maybe it's chronic pain that you're dealing with and it just seems like a storm that will never end. This past week, I witnessed some of the deepest devastation that I believe human beings could face. As if you open your emails and look on certain chats, church chats that you might be in, I went to Edmonton on Friday for 18 hours to 
be a part of a funeral service for a 23-year-old young man who took his life. He was in our church when he was younger, in his younger days, and, and uh, his family is a part of the church there that we had the privilege of pastoring for 14 years. Devastation, being crushed, cannot even properly describe the pain that the family went through the family and the friends of what they're experiencing even now. And can I say this this morning? It's a little off topic, but I need to say this. No matter where you are at today or where you may find yourself in the future, if you are ever at the point where you think and you're starting to believe the lie that suicide is the best option for you, it's not, please call text, get help, reach out to someone who you know can help, to me, one of our church leaders, to a dear friend, suicide is not a solution. It's not. And it leaves behind an awful wake of destruction. So please, if you're listening online after this sermon has been preached, live stream room here in this room, Hear me on that, please. But then you say, but how do I find hope? And how do we find hope in life? How do we navigate through the troubled seas and storms or even the shipwrecks of life? Because you know what? Guaranteed, if they're not, if you haven't already experienced some of those in life, you will. How do we navigate through this? How do we find our hope? Well, in Acts 27, we can learn from the Apostle Paul here. In Acts 27, after being held in prison in Caesarea for two years, where he was treated unfairly, he was being tried for crimes he never committed, he got beat up, he was uh, tortured, but now finally the Apostle Paul is going to Rome, and he's pretty excited, and, and, and as you see here on the map, he's, he's got a little ways to go, but Remember, God promised him, God told him, hey, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to testify about Christ before Nero the emperor. Well, finally, after two years, it's going to happen. And Paul's pretty excited, I'm sure. However, he is in chains. He's a prisoner. But nonetheless, he's on his way to Rome, finally. Now, this should be a relatively easy journey, one would think, and, and, and a very beautiful trip. I mean, who wouldn't want a uh, cruise line ship. I mean, people pay big money today to go on a cruise along the Mediterranean, don't they? I mean, this is what Paul had to look forward to, so at least he'd had some beautiful scenes. And I mean, and, and, and even in this day, it would have been a beautiful, beautiful trip to be able to go on it, a, a ship ride along the Mediterranean. Thousands and thousands of ships would go from um, the area of Jerusalem and Caesarea and throughout the ancient Near East there over, well, way over the far corner. And, and, and you would kind of think that, you know, um, his journey to Rome should look kind of like this, you know, basically a straight line, you know, just, you know, here I am in Caesarea and yeah, you know, overland, but maybe just go around a little bit. Should be pretty easy. But that didn't happen for Paul and that's oftentimes the way life just isn't like that. And so... Paul is on his way to, he's on his way to uh, Rome. 
Now, for Paul, this was no club med. Instead, it was club fed. I kind of thought of this week as he was a prisoner in the federal prison system there for uh, the Roman uh, country or for, for, for Rome. And so he was in the care of guards. And yet, after two years in Rome, I'm sure in prison, he was looking forward to some sunny breezes on his face of the Mediterranean, even if he was in custody. Now, this trip would actually become so eventful for Paul that uh, they would actually name a, um, a, a, bay, a bay after the Apostle Paul. And, and today, you can even go, you can vacation at the St. Paul Bay on the island of Malta. Isn't that beautiful? Very beautiful. But when Paul first experienced St. Paul Bay, now as we call it, it did not look this inviting to him. And so in Acts 27, uh, we're going to see how what started out as a delightful trip, and, and that's the way oftentimes um, life can go. It seems like things can be rather delightful. It becomes, in, instead, you start to experience some difficulty, which moves us to some danger, that then some devastating things can happen, and ultimately even potentially deadly things in life, life-threatening circumstances. And, and this all happened, and this is what we're going to work through, and we're going to see how you can go from delight to deadly rather quickly. And so this morning as we work through this passage, it's my prayer today, it has been my prayer this morning, and, and I know for many of you that God would meet us here this morning, and that wherever we are, if we're in, a, in the delightful phase of life right now, or whether we're in some dangerous or difficult or devastating areas in our life, we would find hope because of Jesus Christ. And I trust that as we work through chapter 27 today, 40-some verses that we're going to work through, that we wouldn't simply be informed and be no more knowledgeable about the Word of God, but instead that God would transform us by the power of His Word, by His Holy Spirit. And what had a great potential to destroy the Apostle Paul and, 200, and all 276 of them on this ship became an experience an opportunity to experience God's presence and power and ultimately deliverance. But please understand that no matter what the trials are that you face in life, that we need God. Only He is the sure way that we are going to make it through the storms and the storm-tossed seas of life. So let's get started here in Acts 27, starting at verse 1. And it says here in verse 1, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustinian cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship called the Adramidium, I had this down earlier today, Adra, I'm going to say it again, Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put out to sea and accompanied by our... Aristarchus, got that one, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go see his friends and be cared for. So here we go, if you notice the, the wonderful uh, animation uh, that's taking place here on the screen that Elaine just did a great job of this, this past week. We see that they go from Caesarea to Sidon. And so there we go. Uh, this isn't very far. This is, you know, 
and, and this isn't like one of these little feeder ships. Like, this wasn't a very big ship that he was in. It was just like, you know, when I flew to Edmonton, you get on one of those little Dash 8s, you know, one of those little, um, you know, kind of feeder airlines, you know, feeder airplanes that take you to the smaller, you know, kind of the short distance, the, the puddle jumper kind of airplane. Well, this was the puddle jumper kind of ship that he was on, and these would just go kind of from port to port kind of thing. And so they went, didn't travel very far here. It wasn't a very far distance, only, I believe it was about 60 miles or something like that, and so uh, they went, and, and Julius, who was the centurion put in charge of, uh, of Paul, uh, was a fair man, we will see, he was a very kind, very fair man, and so he allowed Paul to go on leave, probably with a soldier, allowed him to go visit some friends that Paul had made earlier in his ministry, uh, and, and, and no doubt probably enjoyed a meal together, perhaps even stayed the night there as they were waiting to get on the ship the next day. Verse 4, and putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. Because the winds were against us, and when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lucia. There the centurion found a ship of the Alexandria sailing for, sailing for Italy and put us on board. So now they get to Myra, and again, let's see the progression. Take a look on the screen. You see the progression there as they're working their way to Myra. There we go, making it all the way there. And, 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 but it, notice it says in verse 4, it says, the winds were against us. You see, the good sailing season was over for the winter months. Basically, from the middle of September right until the middle of March, they normally would not sail into very far. They would stay along the coastlines in the Mediterranean because of the dangerous winter winds that would blow. And it would not be very safe for them to be able to, to make it to Rome. And so this was already getting a little risky when they were leaving here at this time. And so uh, sales in these days, another reason why this was difficult, sales in these days could not go against the wind. Uh, later on, they would be modified and, and technology would get better and they could even sail uh, against the wind by adjusting the sails. That can be done today. And so what they would do is they would go along the shorelines and go along the south shore relying on the evening offshore breezes coming off of land to propel them further. So this is why they kind of move on the south side of these islands as you see. And so this was just basic science. It's interesting to note that, that, that scholars and experienced seamen, when they read about this d depiction of this story here in Acts 27, they're like, it's accurate. It's 100%, well, should we be surprised it's God's word? Of course it's accurate for us, right? And so, so I just thought that was an interesting thing that I was reading this week. So they make it to Myra, and, and, and uh, Julius starts looking for, uh, for a larger ship that's going to take them uh, from Myra all the way to Rome. And, and so they get on this larger ship. It is a grain ship. And see, if you look at the very bottom part of the map there, you see Egypt. Egypt was the breadbasket. That's where corn and wheat were grown. And they would take corn and wheat and they would distribute it along the way and especially to Rome. There would be many, many ships that would take uh, boatloads, literally, of wheat and, and corn every year from Egypt over to Rome. But a lot of times they did that circuit along the waterways there. And so just, just some interesting kind of thing. And so they get into this ship, and it's about 160 feet long by 35 feet wide. And we'll see, read a little bit later, there were 276 passengers on board this ship. Verse 7, we'll keep going. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off of Snedus. And as the winds did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off of Salome. 
Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lasa. So they slowly made their way to Fairhaven. And so let's, let's move along there. There we go. Um, you see them making it right to the area of Fairhaven. Now, this was very slow going, again, because of the wind and because of the season that they were in. Verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even, because even the fast, which was a reference to the Day of Atonement, was already over. And that year it was September 24th. And so this was already past September 24th. This was in dangerous sailing season, all right? So Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and with much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of lives. So here is Paul, prisoner, rabbi, missionary, pastor, giving advice to experienced seamen and saying, guys, I, I, just for what it's worth, I don't think we should be going you know, any further. We should stay here in, in this area of Fairhaven. But if you remember, Paul kind of saw this coming because he had been here before. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us how he had been shipwrecked three times, and that even included a night sailing, or not sailing, but but floating in the sea. And so he's like, we are heading into some dangerous, stormy kind of weather. This isn't, I think we should stay. Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot, as good wisdom would seem to to have it, and, and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. The owner of the ship wanted to get his ship to Egypt or, or over to Rome because then he would get paid for getting it there and get paid for the wheat that he was carrying. So here's Paul giving his opinion. Verse 12, and they kind of like, oh, whatever, we're not going to go with that. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. So then they end up deciding, okay, we, we won't travel. We're going to winter. We're going to spend the next three months, but let's not stay at Fairhaven. Fairhaven is a bit of a dump. And basically it was. It was just a small little port town where Phoenix, now that was a much better place, especially for the soldiers and the seamen because it was also known to be a, uh, kind of like a little bit of a Las Vegas kind of place. That would be a good place. It was more touristy, more people there. And so they didn't want to stay in Fairhaven. So they're like, let's go to Phoenix. And so, I mean, Phoenix is a great place to go in the winter. Wouldn't you agree? And, and so... Um, and, and so they were hoping to reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, and, and it would also protect the ship from the winds that would be blowing. So it was good for the ship, it was good for the soldiers, so like, let's just go. It's only going to be about a 40-mile journey from Fairhaven. It's only going to take us a few hours if the winds are, are better. Best for the ship, best for everyone. Let's go to Phoenix. Verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. Now, boats in those days, because of just the navigational system, they had up to 15 anchors in them. And they would drop anchors at different places on the ship in order to help guide them, to weigh them and kind of turn the boat, steer the boat, different things. So they were dropping anchors. They were doing all these different things to guide the boat, along with these kind of giant oars that were like rudders uh, for them. So they start this easy 40-mile jaunt uh, over to Phoenix. Go to Phoenix, great fun. But verse 14, but soon a temptuous, uh, this is where they get the word typhoon from, a temptuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, 
we gave way to it and we were driven along. And all of a sudden, take a look at the screen as you see, look what happens next. The terrible storm comes. And there's nothing they can do except they are now just, pray, just now victims to the storm and just let the boat run. Verse 16, running under the lee of the small island of Caudia, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. That's a reference to the lifeboat that they had. They pulled in the lifeboat. They didn't want, that, want to lose that. And so after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergrid the ship, then fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, and okay, take a look at the map there again. You're going to see they were concerned that they were going to smash into the area of Sirtis. You see it uh, highlighted on the screen there. You might be able to read those words on the left. That's Sirtis Major where it says that kind of North, North Africa area. They were scared that, oh, the winds are going to blow us right there over to Sirtis, over to that area there. And that was known as the ship graveyard. So many ships got caught in the Northeaster and crashed and were shipwrecked there on uh, the North African coastline. And so they were very concerned about that. And so fearing that that would happen, they lowered the gear, the anchor system, to put on as much drag as possible, as thus they were being driven along. They did whatever they could to slow them down and just kind of be drifting at sea. Verse 18, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, they kept the wheat because it was valuable, and it was also making the boat, the bottom of the boat, very heavy. But anything on top that could be swaying around or catch the wind or the waves, they just chucked it off and said, get rid of it. Even the extra sails, they got rid of the extra tackle. They let, let it all go just to save their lives at this point. So here we're going to stop here at, at, at verse 19 at our first point of application. I encourage you to write this down. We all will, either right now or you will, face difficulty, dangerous, devastating, deadly storms in life. It's a guarantee. We will all face difficult, dangerous, devastating, deadly storms. And the reality is, none of us will make it through life unscathed. A wonderful, perfect life of awesomeness and bliss, no one is experiencing that. Even if Instagram and Pinterest portrays that everyone's life on there is just wonderful. If the pictures could really speak, right? If you knew how many takes it took to get that looking or that family just looking right and perfect and awesome and beautiful and, and, and pristine or whatever it might be or that plate of food or that car or whatever it might be, you know, and, and, and it's like we're living the dream. Life is not Instagram or Pinterest, it just isn't, and yet for some reason we get it in our minds that it is. It's going to be wonderful, it's going to be easy, it's going to be amazing. You see, Jesus did not promise his followers an easy, easy trouble-free life. In fact, in John 16, he says, in this life you will have trouble. And, and, and he told that to his followers. And the best way to translate the word trouble is this, tribulation, distress, and suffering. In this world you will have tribulation, distress, and suffering. He also says in there, but take heart because I've overcome it all. You will be victorious with my power and my help. But you see, sadly, because of various versions of the prosperity gospel that we have all bought into in Western Christianity, we all have in one degree or another, we bought into aspects of the prosperity gospel. 
where we think that if you come to Jesus, just have your come to Jesus moment, that everything is going to be grand and wonderful, and you're going to have health and wealth and just a, a, a knockout wonderful marriage and kids that will just obey you so wonderfully. Everything that you say, that career and finances and health is just going to go sailing along beautifully. We, we hear that, and, 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 and there's teachers who really take this to an extreme, but we've all bought into the understanding that we can have the abundant life that is promised one day in heaven, that we can have it all here and now. Tell that to Christians today in China, in Afghanistan, in Syria, in so many parts of the world where standing for Christ, living for Christ, having that come to Jesus moment means suffering and suffering, suffering and separation from family, from work, being tossed and jailed, even put to death. And in some ways, we've all bought into the fact that we think God owes us. If I'm just faithful, if I do these things, if I serve, if I give money, if I pray, I read my Bible, check mark, check mark, check mark, check mark, that life is going to be easy. And, and yeah, we may have some difficulties, but he'll pull us out and he'll make us stronger and better through it. And, and then we'll kind of find those wonderful seas to sail in. Jesus taught actually quite the opposite when you study the words of Jesus. Because he said in Matthew chapter 7, he said that, he said, easy is the road to destruction. The road to destruction, everything is sugar plum and lollipops, just wonderful. And he says, actually, the difficult and the hard road is the road that leads to life. So some of you may not really like hearing that because we're not going to preach that, that the fact that life is going to be easy and you just need to just do this, make these few little adjustments, and then you'll start sailing freely. It's not going to happen. Some areas in your life will be blessed, and praise the Lord for that. Be blessed, and we're thankful when we are. We don't want to turn away blessings, but we also don't live for the ultimate blessings here on this earth because they won't satisfy. Short term, make you look good, sound good, even feel good, but in the end, it's wood, hay, and stubble. Ashes in the rubble. And so, we end up seeing that we are going to face difficulties. And when it comes to the storms in life, it's kind of important that we analyze them. Take meteorologists, uh, for one thing. I, when my father-in-law comes to visit, we always kind of giggle a little bit because I always have to re-memorize what the Weather Channel uh, number is on our cable TV system because basically from sunup to sundown when they're not watching the news, or um, you know, it's the Weather Network. And, and so I always need to know it because he always needs to know what's happening back home. And, and, uh, and, and when he's in Saskatoon, he's always keeping an eye on what we're experiencing. He probably knows the weather better than most of you here for, for us for the next week. And just as we have meteorologists who examine the weather and give weather forecasts and give different categorizations to weather systems and movements, um, just like we have for hurricanes. And they have a scale of one to five, just like tornadoes, they have a scale of one to four. And they go from damaging to catastrophic for both of those. Or else even we hear of weather advisories, weather warnings, you know, that, that we'll experience here, especially with the snow season coming. And so we need to analyze as well the storms that we are facing. What are they about? We, we just don't go into it just, you know, just, you know, without really thinking or analyzing. We, we need to take a look and we need to analyze the storms. And, and, and some storms that we face are because of our own sin. The Bible says you reap what you sow. 
neglect, laziness, self-centeredness, willful disobedience catches up with you sooner or later, and it will end with a crash. And God will allow the storms to intensify to get our attention. In Hebrews 12, you can write down Hebrews 12, you can read about that, that God disciplines us as a father, disciplines a, a, a wayward, disobedient child. God disciplines us so that he gets our attention and, 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 and gets us to smarten up. He did that in the life of Jonah. Running from God, running in disobedience, he allowed a storm in his life. And it was an opportunity for Jonah to continue on and live in the belly of a whale or to repent and return to what God would have. And when that happens, when we repent and we return to God, no matter what kind of mess we have made with our lives, when we come clean, when we come before God and confess and repent and humble ourselves before God, before others, we get help, we admit our problem, and we, we start the path of walking in God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. God desires to meet us there. No sin, no failure from your past, anything that you have done in your life. God is greater than all of those things. The second kind of storms that we get, so there's the storms that we have brought on upon ourselves, and there's no one to blame but us. Then another kind of storm is the storms we face as a result of a broken world. And boy, is our world broken, isn't it? With disease, cancer, abuse, crime, accidents, prideful people, relationships that break down, things that have just happened because of pride and stubbornness and sinful, sinful willful disobedience in, 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 in the lives of others. And now we live with the repercussions of all that brokenness in our world. So that storms can happen through that. And, and, and whether it's a storm like that or the first storm we mentioned or even the third storm, that storms that come just as testings and trials that God allows in our life to refine, to build our character and our faith. We read about that in James chapter 1. That God desires to purify and to refine our, our, our faith and strengthen it. Storms can produce a depth of relationship and commitment to God that cannot be produced any other way. And I know many of you have found that to be true in your life. I think of, uh, look at Paul. I mean, he was doing everything right. He was faithfully serving God for 20 plus years, doing what God had, had asked him to do. And he just lived for God with great joy. And, and even though it wasn't ease or comfort, he continued to serve God faithfully for years. It's very well documented, all that he did. And yet he suffered greatly. His life was not easy. And now, after two years in prison, being beaten, you would think he'd just get a nice little Mediterranean cruise to Rome. But oh no, here comes a storm. But God would use this storm in Paul's life to even strengthen his faith. But also God can use our storms that we go through for a higher purpose to touch the lives of many others. I think of a dear servant in our church, Carol, who recently moved this summer to Calgary to be closer to her children, her grandchildren, just a real heart for them that they would come to know Christ. That, and and uh, these, she's so thrilled because her grandchildren are going to one of our uh, partner churches in, in Calgary at Redemption um, Church 
in, in Calgary South, and she's so happy to see what God's doing there, but she faithfully has followed God to go there, and right now she's walking through a health concern and a health crisis and unsure of the, of the outcome of that, and we're praying for her, and, and yet it's so encouraging to send her a text or an email and say, we're praying for you, Carol, we're praying for you, we love you, and she says, thank you, I know it, I feel it. She says, I just have a peace, and I have God's power and God's strength in this, that God's going to be honored in this. Praise the Lord for that. She was doing everything right, and yet facing an unknown diagnosis at this time, and the doctors have concern, and so we pray for her. We pray God would do a great work in and through this. And so it's important we assess the storms that we're facing, and where needed, we repent. And in all of them, we humble ourselves before God, before others, and say, God, I need you. God, I need help. And he will lead us through the storms. Let's continue in verse 20. It says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope, underline your Bibles, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Now they're just drifting a sea. They are just, they're at the, at the hands of the wind, so to speak. In verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, it's not that there wasn't enough food on the ship, there was food, but when your life is in danger and when you are seasick, have you ever been out on the sea where it's been kind of rough? Uh, you don't want to eat a steak dinner, do you? You don't even want to eat a piece of bread. You just, you, you, the thought of that will turn you green because you just know that as soon as you eat it, you'll see it again, right? And, uh, you know, and so no one had eaten. I mean, they had been going along here. We, we end up seeing that it ends up being like for 14 days uh, that this is going on. It's, first of all, it says many days, but we see this is many days that they didn't even see the sun. They didn't see the stars. So they were lost. They had no clue where they were. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Just what you need in a time like this, a smart guy. You know, hey, if you guys would have just listened to me in the first place, ladies, don't you dare go and memorize that verse. Some of you are wanting to work on Bible memory, you know, using that as a Bible memory verse. Men, you should have listened to me to say that to your husband or to your child. You know, you should have, you know, yeah, I know some of you will memorize that now. Say, memorize the verse in church today is awesome. Men, you should have listened to me. And, and so anyways, if you guys would have listened to me in the first place, we wouldn't be in this mess. Yeah, we don't need that, Paul. No, Paul was saying this not to be a condescending, condescending jerk, not to be arrogant and rise up amongst them. He's saying this because he wants to make a point. And that point is, you didn't listen to me for the first time, but please listen to me now. Guys, I was right about this the first time. Please, you got to hear me. This is so important. I know what I'm talking about, guys. Not just some rabbi who just sits doing rabbi work all day. Verse 22, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong. Let me say that again. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul was afraid. How do we know Paul was afraid? Because the angel said, don't be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you so take heart, men, for I have faith in God, and it will be exactly as you, as I, as I have been told. 
but we must run aground on some island. Second point, I encourage you to write this down, application point here to this passage. When facing storms, we must cling to God's word. This storm was so wicked, so powerful, so unrelenting, they go for days without seeing the sun, the stars. They're so disoriented, they have no clue, no navigational GPS system in those days. All hope was gone. Everyone lost hope. The mighty, the great, the powerful, the well-spoken, I have faith in God, Apostle Paul, had lost hope. It says everyone lost hope, Luke, the author writes. Even Paul's faith ran out. Have you been there? Have you been there in your life? Are you there right now? Are you there right now where just there's no hope? There's a cloud, a weight, a heaviness, a darkness, a gloominess in your life, and it just seems there's no hope? Paul was there. He knows what you're going through. I've been there. And sadly, one of the things, it's on the weather forecast for each one of us, We'll get there again, but we must remember, whether it's the end of a relationship, the end of a marriage, chronic pain, betrayal, the loss of a loved one, depression, anxiety, addiction, a battle that you are in and it just seems there's no end, there's no sun, no moon, no stars, you're so disoriented, you have no idea what is up and what is down and the waves are sweeping over you, there is hope. And as Paul finds hope, in the promises of God, we can find hope in the promises of God. He, I mean, even think about it. Paul was even told, remember in Acts 23, we looked at this when he was in prison, when Jesus himself came and had a little visit with him and said, Paul, don't worry, take courage, you're making it to Rome. You're going to testify before Caesar. Paul knew the word of God. He had that promise. He had that assurance, and yet he lost hope. All hope was gone. Paul was afraid. So you can even know the word of God like Paul did and still lose hope. You see, you can go to church, you can have knowledge, you can claim the promises, you can memorize the promises. You can be in the will of God and do everything properly and right in a spirit of humility and dependency upon the Lord and still experience the storms and the winds and the waves upon you. And God had a message for Paul that he used an angel for. God used this angel to remind him of the important truths that would come to mean so much to Paul in that moment. And we'll see what those are in a moment, but we see that Paul ends up being strengthened, refreshed, filled once again with faith to stand up before the other 275 people in that ship and say, have faith in God, we're going to make it. We're going to lose the ship, but no lives are going to be lost. Look what he says in verse 23, underlying this in your Bibles. This is golden. This is so golden. As he says, the, the God to whom I belong. Paul is making a declaration here. God's got this. I don't think I've got it, but God's got this. I've lost faith. I've lost hope. But if you're a child of God, he hasn't lost faith. He hasn't lost hope in you. You may have lost your grip on God, but he hasn't lost a grip, his grip on you. He's there in the storm and the wind and the seas. And look what Paul says in verse 23. The God to whom I belong. You need to remember that throughout the course of the day. That's a much better one to memorize, ladies and men, and children, anyone listening to this, the God to whom I belong, who's a powerful statement of God's possession over his children. We don't survive the trials and the storms in our own strength, and our own maturity, and our own faith, because that could be gone. But we survive in the strength of his grip and his faithfulness. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, the Apostle Paul reminds us at the very end, the last letter that he wrote before he ended up being martyred for his faith. He says, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. As a child of God, when we are faithless, we've lost all hope, God is faithful. That's 2 Timothy 2.13. Do you know the God that Paul knew? Do you belong to God? If so, you need to know he's got this. But if you don't belong to him, you have no promise of survival through the storms. And listen, he has proven his love for us fully and ultimately at the cross where he purchased our salvation, our redemption, where his son Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins as he sacrificed his one and only son. You and I could not be any more loved than that, no greater love. Have you come to the place in your life where you understand that you are loved by God? That means that you have come to the point to understand that God is holy. We are sinful. We are all sinful. But that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the answer, is the cure. He's the one who stepped in and took the punishment that we deserve. The wrath of God was poured out on him for our sins. And when he died and then he rose again in victory, that means that sin was arrested and death was arrested as we were singing a little earlier today. And that's when real life begins. When by faith we repent and we turn and we surrender to him and to Jesus and to Jesus alone, nothing in our hands that we bring, only to him do we grip. And we say, save me, Jesus. And we invite him to be our Lord and our Savior. And if you have done that in your life, you belong to him. You are his precious possession and nothing can snatch you out of his hands. Even when you feel faithless, he is faithful. And yes, there will be storms that will come into our lives that will overwhelm us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I think of the dear mother at the graveyard, graveside, on Friday afternoon, as they lowered her 23-year-old son into the ground. She's on her knees. I don't think it can get any lower in life than that. Storm so massive. And you think there's no way forward. There is no hope. But as we cling to these truths, and yes, there will be times As I said already, we will feel we've lost the sight of God. He hasn't lost sight of us. He promised I will never leave you or forsake you. God sent an angel to Paul. And you know what? I believe in the spiritual realm today, there are angels all around here. If we had the lens to see, there are angels, messengers, workers, warriors for God who are working right now in the spiritual realm, fighting off the evil forces, the demonic strongholds and demons that are also trying to invade, trying to distract, telling you lies in your head even right now that what I'm saying is not true. And the angels are fighting and warring. And, 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 and if you're a praying type, you can be praying right now that the power of God would be loosed in people's lives. That the power of Satan would be defeated and those th- thoughts in your head and the discouragement would be lifted here today. 
through the word of God. That's what the angel was doing, delivering the word of God to, to Paul. And we have angel messengers that deliver the word to us. And perhaps this word for you this morning is a message from God. I think of one day back uh, when I was out of ministry a number of years ago and just even thinking maybe my ministry days were over and I was so discouraged. And I remember one day I was looking out the window, Charlotte and the kids were heading off for the day and I was at home alone and I was wondering what, what is gonna happen in my life? What am I gonna do? Is, is, is my ministry life done? And it came to the point where it was okay if it was gonna be God, it's yours, I surrender that to you. But there was such a wave. And I remember looking out the window and nothing like that Okanagan cloud in the middle of winter, but all of a sudden as I looked out there's this just overwhelming cloud just setting in and it just felt like that cloud just moved right into my bedroom right over my head as I'm looking out the window it just felt like this wave of darkness and then the doorbell rang there was an angel a lady who I didn't even know I since have come to know her and she's a part of our church she stopped by and she said we're praying for you we know that it's been a rough go for you and gave me a book and and I didn't even read the book because it wasn't the book that was important that's not why she was sent there that day but God used a person a follower of Christ to come and 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 I was just just at the front door talked with her a few moments and she ended up saying, you are not to leave this city and you are not to think that God is not going to use you again. God will use you once again. And then she left. And you know that cloud that was moving in that day, it didn't turn to sunshine and roses, but that cloud lifted. And that particular kind of cloud never came back. God uses people. Angelic messengers, humans, the word of God. He uses messages perhaps even, like I said, like this to inspire you to keep going. Okay, let's finish the chapter here in one more application point and then we're done here this morning. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected they were nearing land. So notice that the storm, you know, this, this message from Paul didn't meet didn't come with ultimate deliverance and all of a sudden the, the, the waves stopped and the sun started to shine. No, it continued. The 14th night had come. And then all of a sudden they knew they were getting near land. How could they tell? They could hear the water smashing against the waves or against the rocks of the shore. They could finally hear it. They hadn't heard that for days. They heard the wind. They heard the crashing wind and the rain and all of that. But now they could hear the waves crashing against the shore. And so this was good news. Oh, and it was terrible news because it was pitch dark. They couldn't see. They're getting near shore, but we might crash. And we, maybe we're going to now hit. Maybe we're going to end up in North Africa. They had no clue where they were. Verse 28. And they dropped some of their weighted ropes into the sea in this way. And, and what they did was basically these weighted ropes, they, they would lower down. And all of a sudden they found, oh, we're at 120 feet. Then next thing they found out that they were at 90 feet. And they're like, oh no, we're moving, we're moving towards shore. This isn't good. We can't see. Are we going to hit rocks? Are we going to hit sand? We don't know what's going on. And then we read that some of the soldiers actually tried to escape, or some of the sailors tried to escape. They, they said, we're going to go and do some adjustments with the life, lifeboat. And so they lowered down the lifeboat, and they were going to escape. And, and Paul found out, and he says, no, hey, we're in this all together. No one's taken off. We're all in this. We're going to be saved together. We're going to work together. We're going to be in this together. Get back in here. I'm like, okay. And so, so they're all in this together. And then Paul tells, gives them some more instructions, and he says, okay, now eat. Eat up. You haven't eaten for 14 days. Everyone needs to eat because we've got some work to do. Again, they weren't hungry. 
but Paul was like, you need to eat. And so then we see Paul prayed and they broke some bread together. They ate, they, they ate together and it says they were strengthened. And then they just start throwing everything off the ship. They just got rid of whatever they could. They kept themselves anchored, but they got rid of the wheat, everything. Just put the boat up higher so it wouldn't crash so they could get further into shore. And then we start to see in verse 41, as, as they could see in, in the morning, it, uh, they could finally see, and they could see a beach area, and they're like, let's aim it towards the beach. They lift up the sail, they, they do some stuff with the anchor, they drop the anchors, and they're like, let's, let's, let's move in towards the shore. Verse 41, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. Take a look at the screen, look what happens. There we go, shipwrecked. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So they're stuck in the sand right in front of these air, this rock area and there's nothing they could do. The soldier's plan at this point was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should, should escape. And so here the waves are pounding and they're thinking and the boat's starting to break up and so they all end up saying, we're gonna have to jump ship but let's kill the, sol- let's kill the prisoners because in, in Roman custom, if, if your prisoner escaped, whatever was their charge um, and if it was for a capital crime, as you'll hear next week, that more than likely this was for capital crimes that these people committed, that you would suffer the same consequences that uh, your prisoner uh, was to suffer if they escaped. And so they let's kill all the prisoners. Verse 43, but the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and first jump overboard first and make for land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that they were all brought safely to land. Last application point here. Deliverance will come as we walk and work by faith. Paul shares the good news with the, the uh, people on the ship. We're all gonna make it and yet the storm continues. And he says, now we have some work to do. Eat, be strengthened, but now you have some work to keep on going and, and to press on. You see, the way, the way through a storm, or the way out of a storm, is through a storm. God could stop a storm in an instant if he wanted to. Jesus did that when he was here on earth. He was just able to say, peace, be still, and a, and, and a storm would stop. God could do that. God could stop anything at any time, and yet God's way out of the storm is for us to endure and to go through the storm. And so there's a part of it, no doubt, they're like, yahoo, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. But then there's some work to do here. They eat, they got busy, they did the next thing. They lightened the ship, they ate, they worked together, all in unison. Some tried to escape. Nope, we're beauty of community. We've got to stay in here together. We've got to work this out because the way out of the trial is going to be through the trial. Not running around trying to escape, not just pressing the escape hatch to get out, but to do the next thing. The pastor at the funeral that we, um, on, on Friday, he gave uh, the story of Elizabeth Elliot. You'll remember her, many of you would know her as the missionary um, wife who lost her husband along with his co-workers, co-missionaries uh, by the, were, were martyred terribly in Ecuador by the very people they were desiring to reach, an incredible story. And, and she was asked years later, how did you make it through those early days? How did you make it through that, becoming a widow, having young children, through the horrific news uh, that, that once the news sources all got a part of this and just, you know, losing their, just so devastating, so hurtful. And, and she said, you know, what, how you got, we got through it is you just do the next thing. You do the next thing. What's the next thing to do? You read your Bible. You pray. 
you wash the dishes, you take care of the kids, you go to work, you wash the car, you do what you're supposed to do, and in faithfulness, you, you do that work, and you commit it to God by faith. We do our best, and we commit the rest to God. We press on, we press on. And God makes promises to deliver his children safely to shore. He will deliver you through this storm safely to the other side. There will be deliverance. It will come in God's timing and in God's way. But God's word also says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts, his plans are higher than our ways. And understand the deliverance that you're hoping and you're praying for and you're trusting God for may not come this side of heaven. We have invested so much here on this earth that we have to have everything all perfect and right and be fully delivered here on earth. That's not gonna, it will happen in heaven fully. And for some of us, whether it's the pain, the loss, the fatigued body, whatever it might be, there could be healing here. God could do a work or God will deliver you safely one day in heaven. What's going on in your life right now God will be faithful and see you through. We press on by faith. Deliverance will come. And today, I'm going to ask the band to come at this time, and we're going to spend some time in commitment and prayer and worship. And today, if you're in a storm and you're hearing this message, Paul stood and he declared, I believe God, the God to whom I belong. And today, if you don't know God in the way that I talked about earlier as your personal Savior, you can know God in this way through Jesus Christ. Love to talk and pray with you afterwards if, if that hasn't happened or if you are unsure how to go about doing that. But remember, as Paul made that declaration and, and he said, okay, I believe God, I have faith. We're gonna make it. We're gonna survive this. He's gonna come through. And then he did the next thing. And what was it you need to eat? You need to keep pressing on. And so this morning, whatever trial that you may be in, whatever you might be facing, you may need to make a declaration today and, and I encourage you to do so. We can hear messages like this and be touched a little bit, but it's like, okay, we need to do the next thing. And I encourage you that next thing is we're worshiping the Lord here in the main center or in the live stream service. At the front of both centers, there are crosses and at the foot of the cross, there is some bread. And it's not communion, so this isn't for everyone like we do. It's communion will be next Sunday, Lord willing. But this is some bread that we have here. And just as no doubt Paul and those on board the ship ate some bread together and made a declaration, we're going to get through this, we're going to get through this, not in our power, in our strength, in the God to whom, for them, a lot of these people didn't know Christ yet, but no doubt came to know Christ. But we eat as a declaration and say, God, the God to whom I belong, by faith I'm going to trust that he's going to see us through. He's going to see me through this. And today, you're going to make a walk of commitment, a walk of declaration. And as you take that bread and eat it, it's not to do with communion, as I once said, just to make sure you're clear on that. But this is a declaration of God's got this, and I'm giving it to him today. And I'm doing the next thing. The next thing right now is committing it to God. We're going to have some prayer partners here at the front and, and would love to pray with you. And, and in fact, as you come get bread, they're going to have a short word of prayer with you, and you're just going to tell them the name of the storm. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you just don't even want to say, and you just say, it's a storm. And, and they're just going to lay a hand on you, and they're going to pray, and they're just going to say, God, would you deliver them from this storm in your name, the God to whom you belong? Short prayer, super short prayer, prayer partners. And then you just go, and you commit it to God, okay? It'd be a mistake for us to miss this moment. Let's stand together and worship here and in the live stream as we sing to God, I need you, I need you. And if you need to come and have this piece of bread, it's the next thing in making a commitment to him in this way, you come and we would love to be able to minister to you in that way. Prayer partners, come right now, please.